Thank you, Nathan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany, uh, both here in the sanctuary across the street in the chapel. Also, some of you are worshiping with us online. We're honored that you've chosen to join us this morning. We'll take a moment and pray and then consider this text uh, that Nathan has read to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather within these walls today listening for your voice. And we open ourselves now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, giving us not only ears to hear what you are uniquely saying to each of us as individuals, but also we ask that you give us hearts to respond, that we might know by revelation a next step to take in order that we might be shaped by you to be people of hope and rest and peace in the midst of our world. We're mindful, Father, of all the uncertainty surrounding us and grateful, Father, that you've offered us a, a manner in which we can be anchored and, and sleep well at night and be hospitable and generous regardless of outward circumstances. Would you guide us there this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at Philippians chapter 3, I begin by asking a question. How many have heard the phrase post-modernity? Would you raise your hand if you've heard that phrase? So some have. How many feel like you know what the phrase means? Would you then raise your hand? Yeah, like five. So uh, I will begin by articulating... Uh, uh, kind of a definition, in a, a working definition of this phrase, postmodernity, because we do live in a postmodern time, and all it means simply, if I put it in, in terms that are accessible for all of us, is we live in a time of a truth crisis. We live in a time in history when uh, people are skeptical regarding what they're hearing. Uh, true regarding history, and certainly true now in our present moment regarding the news, even, right? This has moved from a philosophical discussion to something that happens every day in the headlines. Because how many have heard the phrase, you haven't heard the phrase post-modernity, how many have heard the phrase fake news? <laughs> yeah, and so here, here we are. Uh, people who watch uh, MSNBC think Fox is lying, de facto. People who watch Fox think MSNBC is lying. Certain newspapers are declared uh, uh, to be perhaps fake in the eyes of some, right? And so this creates, what it creates is a skepticism regarding what is true. And we do live in an age where we have doubt regarding what's true. We don't, we, we don't believe ads, and we're assaulted all the time. We don't believe politicians. We don't believe uh, Hollywood many times, actors uh, who, who speak and pontificate about various subjects. So Jesus comes along in John chapter 8, and he says, if you abide in my word, my word abides in you. There's a profound declaration. You will know what? The truth. You'll know the truth. And the truth that will set you free, like, in, in other words, liberate you to live the life for which you're created. Very important you understand here when Jesus says you'll know the truth, that he's not saying, so go home, like, study your Bible and interpret every, you know, every line so you get it down there because, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna know everything. You're going to memorize it. You're going to know it. No, that's not what he's saying. Truth isn't a text. A text is a pointer to truth, but truth is not the text. Truth is Jesus, the person Jesus. So Jesus says in John 5.39 regarding the Pharisees, you the, like the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And Jesus is making a bit of a rhetorical statement there because he's saying the scriptures don't give you life, ever. They're important. Like, I love them. I teach them every Sunday. But the point isn't the scripture. 
The scripture points to the truth. The truth is a person, Jesus. John 14, I am the what? Way, truth, and life. I'm the truth. So the truth is a person and therefore knowable. And to the extent that we can know this truth, the truth transforms us, sets us free, liberates us to live into our calling. So what Paul is doing in this ongoing letter of the Philippians, now in chapter 3, he reveals two major lies, kind of the two major lies that prevent us from walking in the truth of knowing Christ. And there are two lies that prevent us. We're going to look at the lies and then the truth. The first lie, the Gnostic lie, spirit is greater than matter. The second lie, the self-sufficiency lie, flesh is greater than spirit. And then the truth, union with Christ is greater than anything. So two lies and a truth. You've played the game, two truths and a lie. This is like that, only it's not like that at all, actually. <laughs> this, is, this is just a clever title, two lies and a truth, uh, because this is what Paul is articulating. He's, he's saying, hey, let me show you. There's, there's actually there's two lies that we often land on rather than pressing through those lies into truth. First lie uh, the Gnostic lie, spirit is greater than matter. Now, if you don't know what Gnosticism is, don't even worry about it. We're just going to kind of make it simple here. But Paul is saying in Philippians 3, I love this, Philippians 3, 1, finally, brothers, he says, as if he's about to finish. This, like we're halfway through the book of Philippians. And he says, finally, when I say in conclusion, don't check out like there's a half hour to go. That's, what, <laughs> that's kind of what Paul is doing here. Uh, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Then verse 2. Beware the dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision. That's what he says. So Paul says here, beware the false circumcision. What he's really saying, uh, th that word false circumcision isn't, uh, it, it's not in the text. Literal translation, beware the mutilators. So, in other words, there's people who are saying you have to be circumcised to be saved, to be in Christ. And he's saying, people who say that are mutilators of the flesh. It's not circumcision. It's like, a, like an inflammatory uh, statement. You, these guys are destroying the faith. And how are they destroying the faith? They're saying the faith is this, Jesus plus circumcision. And like the idea here that we hone in on is Jesus plus anything is a problem. Because Christ's death entirely paid for the penalty of your sin. You can know that you know that you know that Jesus loves you. Every time you drink that little grape juice that we do here, next Sunday we'll do it like that. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't contingent on you feeling guilty or anything like that. Like you just simply receive all that Christ is and in receiving you know that you're forgiven. That's the first thing. But then Christ's resurrection life is, is intended to, like you receive Christ and now that seed of Christ's life is planted within you and begins to grow over a lifetime so that you in increasing measure display Jesus. So like you receive Christ for forgiveness of sin's uh, penalty, you receive Christ for uh, uh, the empowerment to live in Christ and, and it's Christ plus what? Nothing. Like with empty hands you receive, that's it. So along comes a group of people who say, oh yeah, it's Jesus, Jesus, absolutely, totally Jesus, plus you got to be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, you're not in. And this is because Judaism uh, was like the precursor in a sense to Christianity and Jews had as part of their faith circumcision. So Jews who became Christians brought with them uh, things that weren't necessary, including circumcision, and now we're beginning to impose circumcision on uh, new Christians. And he, now the mystery in this text to me is 
uh, Paul is saying to the Philippians, beware the, like the, the false circumcision, the mutilators. And the thing is, there are, there are hardly any Jews in Philippi, hardly any. Like this is way far from Jerusalem. It's up in Europe, and, 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 and it's a predominantly, it's a, Philippi is a culture filled with retired Roman soldiers, but also like a hotbed of Greek culture. So why would Paul say beware the circumcision? Here's why. Because circumcision would have an appeal to Greeks because circumcision would be in a sense a form of Gnosticism. Now let me just, it's, I know it, I'm getting a little technical this morning, but I want to say to you, what Gnosticism is, is this, is Plato taught this to the Greeks, and, and the reason it's important to us is we evangelicals bought it to some extent. Plato said, hey, do you know what? Uh, the world in which we live has a spiritual component to it that's invisible and a physical component that's visible. And, by the way, uh, the spiritual component that's invisible is better, purer, more real than the physical. The physical, <laughs> passing away, the spiritual, going forever, right? Like, it's, it's, it, it, it remains. So spirit trumps body. That's it. That, that's Gnosticism, like, less than 101. Like, Gnosticism 99. Like, there's just a very brief introduction to Gnosticism. Like, spirit trumps body. Invisible trumps visible. And so when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, you guys are, like, as a result of this, you're punishing the body. And, and you're trying to deny the body. And, and you're saying the body is evil. So, you know, you're sleeping on hard beds and you're being all ascetic and you, and you think that fasting is better than feasting and praying is better than sex. No. It's all holy. That's what Paul's saying. It's all, it's all good. So, Wendell Berry basically says this when he says there's, there's no sacred secular divide. This is a poet, farmer, and what he says is, the only divide that exists is the divide between holy and profane. No sacred secular. In other words, uh, it's not like some stuff God looks on with favor and other stuff God doesn't like. No, no. At what Genesis 1, God saw all that God had made and behold, it was what? A mixture of good and bad? No. It was all good. Coffee is good. Skiing is good. Sex is good. Feasting is good. Prayer is good. Fasting is good. Chastity is good. Singleness is good. Marriage is good. It's all good. But it's all, here's the thing. It's all open to being profaned in a way. So that's why Barry says uh, the divide is holy profane. God made everything holy. And, and then without Christ in our lives, the gifts of God that are so beautiful become distorted and destructive. That's what, that's what happens. So God gives you the gift of sex, but without Christ in our lives, uh, the gift of sex becomes lust, becomes pornography, becomes adultery, becomes uh, polygamy, becomes polyamory, becomes all sorts of sexual addiction, becomes me too, becomes I don't trust you, becomes, becomes anger. It's all there. <laughs> yeah, great gift, perverted. Does this, you see, profaned, as, as uh, Wendell Berry would say. Food's a gift. And then it becomes, you know, eating disorders. And, and, and recreation is a gift. And then it becomes obsession with body image. And creation is a gift. And then it becomes we worship creation rather than the creator, Romans chapter 1, pantheism. So uh, what happens then is kind of this Gnostic strain of Christianity says this, because these gifts are open to abuse, therefore 
Stay away from them. Don't enjoy those gifts. Those gifts are bad. And that's a, that's a perversion of the gospel, is what Paul is saying. Because the problem isn't the thing. The problem is that we don't know how to hold the thing in a holy manner. And because we have failed to hold the thing in a holy manner, we step back from the thing. We'll use sex as an example. We say, you know what? Stay away from that. And like the, the worst iteration of this would be like in its, in its most perverse forms, that purity movement. Now hear me, hear me. Chastity until marriage, God's design, absolutely. Sex belongs in a covenant of marriage. That's the only place it belongs. But, but then when, when a community says, of, like there's a thousand ways to sin, and a community takes one thing and says, this is the most, like if you fail here, you're ruined for life. Do you realize what that does? Like that sets people up for huge, like boatloads of shame and guilt, and not only shame and guilt, but now, because this was elevated so high, if I fail, who can I tell? Because this is the, that's the worst sin. And so now, uh, sexual sin in the church goes underground. That's what happens. Men are afraid to talk about their struggles with porn. Women are afraid to talk about their struggles with pornography. Nobody confesses infidelity because for fear of, you know, rejection and excoriation because what have we done? We've taken a good gift of God and, and we've said, boy, stay, like, don't blow it. Listen, it's all good and open and perversion and when we blow it, confession is the way out. But we can't confess if we're afraid of it. So this is like, this is the, the danger in Gnosticism because what has happened is people who are driving by right now viewing the church as irrelevant are viewing us as irrelevant because we are only characterized by what we're against. Against uh, uh, sexual expression, against celebration, against joy. I feel like it's against joy sometimes. I've said this before, but Gnostics remind me of this like this sign when I lived in Friday Harbor, as you go down to the beach on the south end of the island, there's a little trail. It's 200 yards. And then there's a beautiful beach at Driftwood. And there's a sign before you step on the trail. And there's a dog and a slash line. And a cigarette and a slash line. And a campfire and a slash line. And beer and a slash line. Right? And a boat and a slash line. And so somebody then graffitied the sign one time and they, and they added a smiley face and a slash line. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you know what? This is the beach of nothing fun. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you, this is how Christianity is perceived. And if you don't believe me, just try this. Don't, don't really try this. But, you know, say to somebody on a plane sometime, yeah, I'm a pastor. And then you hear, this is what you hear. Oh, let me tell you why I quit going to church 10 years ago, five years ago, 30 years ago. This is the main, one of the main reasons right here. So that's a thing. Gnosis, it's a lie. It's a lie. God's desire for us is to enjoy all the gifts that God has given us, but there's only one way to enjoy it properly, and we enjoy these gifts as a byproduct of union with Christ, as we'll see in a minute. So that's the first lie, the Gnostic lie. Spirit is not greater than matter. Everything God created is good. Second lie is the self-sufficiency lie, which basically says... Um, Flesh is greater than spirit. So look at verse 3 for just a moment. Verse 3 says, um, 
We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. No, now, uh, I'm going tra- to retranslate this here because the word flesh here is going to get confusing because of what I just said about Gnosticism. So set that aside for a minute and instead read it this way. The New English translation, which I never read, best for here. Because this is what he says. He says, we're like we're the true circumcision who worship in Christ, uh, worship in the Spirit, glory in Christ, and listen, and, and put no confidence in human credentials. That's what we're talking about here. No con- in other words, the self-sufficiency lie uh, says this, my human credentials matter more than my spirit. And uh, Paul is saying, you, you want to know who the true believers are? Those who don't trust in their own human credentials. That's who they are. So um, uh, when, when we say human credentials are greater than spirit, and that's a lie, Paul uses himself as the, like the prototype of somebody who has great human credentials. So what Paul basically does here in verses like three through six is he shares his kind of resume, his spiritual resume, and he says, look, I want you to know like who I am according to human uh, categories is very impressive to a certain subset of people, particularly to the Jews. And so he goes through it. This is, he, he shares all this stuff. He says, A, I was circumcised on the eighth day. When are, when are Jewish boys supposed to be circumcised? Eighth day. So like, check. How many of you hire people in the room? Raise your hand if you do any hiring. Yeah? couple of you. So, you know, we hire here. We get, you get resumes through. And there's like, I'm looking for certain things. Like I'm looking for, you know, experience and, 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 and uh, education and, and uh, certain like accolades maybe, letter of recommendation. And like if you lack certain things, out. You know what I mean? Like here's Paul, every box, check. Eighth day circumcised, check. Tribe of Benjamin, that's the cool tribe. Check. <laughs> Hebrew, Hebrews. I preserved the Hebrew language when I was dying because we were a scattered nation. Check. Regarding the law, I'm a Pharisee. That means I know the text, I've memorized the text, I teach the text, and I seek to live by the text. How zealous am I? So zealous that I persecuted anyone who I viewed as a threat to Judaism, and that, by the way, included all Christians, so I was all in regarding arresting and taking away to execution Christ followers, right? And regarding righteousness righteousness in the law, he says, I have it. Like, uh, outwardly, if you look at me, I obey the law perfectly. That's Paul. So in er like every box, if I'm looking for the best Jew, Paul's the man. Check, 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 check. I want this guy, right? And so uh, what Paul is saying here is... I have built a life that's impressive. And then Jesus says, yeah, you know what? That's what religious people do. They build lives that are impressive. He, he, Jesus calls it uh, in Matthew, uh, cleaning the outside of the cup. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, I call it branding. And here's the deal. Who in the room uh, brands themselves? And do you want to know the answer? All of you. <laughs> we all, like we're all a brand. We would never say it that way. We'd never consciously be that way, but every time you post on social media, you're branding yourself. Do you realize that? And so, like, this is why nobody posts on, or very few post on social media. Yeah, car broke down, I had a swearing fit, threw a kid out the window, you know, (laughs) went home, 
and drown myself in some whiskey and then two pints of Ben and Jerry. Uh, yeah, it was a great day. Like, who does that? No one. No one does that. Why? Because we're mindful. What, go, what we put out there is how we're perceived. So what do we put out there? You know, our best sweater, our, like our best word, our best, our best experience. And, and so social media is a brand. Stickers are a brand, right? Alpinist, man. Like I read the cool climbing magazine. What, so you think I climb. Whether I do or not, you don't even know. I got the sticker. That's all that matters, right? Look at this. This is my iPad. The summit is so quality, not just the summit, Alpental. That's the Black Diamond territory, people. I ski well, right? So um, we brand, like we do, uh, like our clothes are our brand, our stickers, our social media. The coffee we drink is our brand, right? In this city, the, not, and this is what I learned this week, not just the coffee we drink, how we grind our beans is the brand. Are you kidding me? Eric and I were in a meeting, and somebody brought in some beans, and I go, hey, I got a grinder. I'll go around and get the grinder. And then someone said, what kind of grinder do you, guy, do you have? I go, well, whatever, you know, Target, 10 bucks. <laughs> no, I'm not going to pervert those beans with that thing, man. You know, it's got to be. So this is branding. Do you understand? We all do it. We all do it. And so Paul has a summary conclusion here, which is what? I'm a good brand. And then... What does Paul say? Verse 7, but whatever was gained to me, my brand, I've now put in the loss column, verse 7, and I count all of my brand as a loss because I've gained something better than my brand. I've gained knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, but I count the loss of everything like I've... Now, I value my brand as rubbish, is the word in the New American Standard Bible. And really, uh, that's a polite euphemism. This is rough language Paul is using. He actually is saying here uh, the same word that a president might use regarding a whole continent, right? So you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, I count it as of no value. Paul reckons, in this accounting way, his former identity's loss. And, and he puts giving it up as a cost, but then very quickly he says the cost is val- vastly outweighed by the gain because the gain is what? The gain is knowing Christ. So here's Paul. Self-sufficiency is a lie. Now, let me just give you two reasons why uh, like your human credentials are inadequate because there are two important reasons. First of all, here's the deal. Human credentials are inadequate because you're, number one, you're not made for a contingent life. And whatever are your human cont- uh, credentials, they're contingent. In other words, uh, the problem with boasting in, in any human accomplishment, hey, I ski, great, till I don't. And then what, right? Hey, I'm rich, great, till I'm not. Hey, I've got the perfect family, and then my wife has an affair. Hey, uh, you know, I work out at CrossFit, you know, three times a week. Work out of the day, nailed it, uh, you know, top of the charts, and then uh, melanoma. Really? Yeah, yeah. Every brand is contingent. Every one. So what are you going to boast in? And every brand is only good in, uh, you know, certain settings anyway. So I love Seattle. 
Like, it's part of my identity. I'm from Seattle. I love that. Be, why? I love rain. I love Gore-Tex. I love coffee. I love, you know, skiing in the afternoon, sailing at sunset, Lake Washington. It doesn't get any better. Like, where else in the world can you do that? Love. Absolutely love it. Have since I got the catalog from Seattle Pacific 1976 with Mount Shuxon on the, on the cover, and I had to decide Wheaton or, or SPU. Not even a choice once I got the catalog. Who cares about the music program? I'm going to the mountains, and I never look back. But here's the deal. We love Seattle. We think it's our identity. Not everyone's impressed. Man, I speak on the East Coast, and people are like this, Seattle, how do you survive? <laughs> and I go, what do, you, like, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, the rain or the politics or the coffee snobs, or what, I mean, they, like we have an image. Or, you know, I spoke at a camp in New England, uh, in, in New Hampshire. I'm from Seattle, and they just smirk. They go, yeah, it's, you know, third and goal on the one, and you guys can't even win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Boom, done. Yeah, you gotta boast? What are you gonna boast about? Here's the deal. Like, every, like your life, if your identity is your brand, your brand is super fragile, that's all I'm saying. Second, uh, boasting in your, like, your human credentials, your brand, is a lie because you are not as together as you portray yourself to be. First Corinthians chapter 1. Who did God choose? Not many uh, wise, not many mighty, not many rich. God's chosen the fools and the weak, the poor. I used to think that uh, that text was about uh, God only chooses certain people. Only the weak. Now I'm like this. Nope, God chooses everybody. Why? We're all weak. That's why. And you have taught me that as a congregation. Because I know now that behind the veil, it doesn't matter your wealth. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter your, your health. It doesn't matter your resume. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. Everybody is broken. Everybody. We all, like wealthy people with health issues, powerful people with family issues, people of great reputation with secret hidden addictions. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't make your net worth, your coffee selection, your clothes, your sport, your body mass index, your career, your cholesterol level, your identity. Don't do that. Why? It won't last and it hides the broken part of you that if, like if you live into that brokenness, Suddenly now you see your need for Christ and you find the life for which you're created. So the brand thing doesn't work either. So then there is a truth, right? And the truth is this. Union with Christ is greater than anything. Greater than my, soup, my, my fragile brand. Greater than kind of the Gnostic lie that vilifies all the gifts that God has given us. Union with Christ is greater than anything. So Paul then says, verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, in my brand, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count everything loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. So look at verse 8, and in my Bible, emphasize it, knowing Christ my Lord. Uh, and then verse 9, I want to be found in him, united. I want his righteousness to be mine. I want to share in his sufferings that I might share also in his uh, glory, share in his death that I might share in his resurrection. And, and, and so verse 10, he reiterates what he said in, in uh, verse 
7, and he makes it a declarative statement in verse 10. This is it. I live by this verse. That I may know him. That's it. That's the goal. Like, uh, what is my identity? I want to be known as somebody who knows Jesus. That's my identity. Whatever things were gained to me, I realize they're all temporary, so I toss them over here in a different bin, and now I have one thing, one thing, this one thing I do, he says here, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, uh, reaching forward to what lies ahead, verse 13, I press on to the goal. What's the goal? Knowing Christ, living so that I can say it and mean it, Jesus is my best friend. That's worth pursuing. Why? Well, because there's a, it says here, there's a surpassing glory in knowing Christ. It's better than any other reputation. Uh, why? Because Christ who made me knows me, and so if I make pursuing Christ my goal, Christ who now lives in me begins to flourish in me, and the flourishing of Christ in me by virtue of union moves me toward the, becoming the person God had in mind when I was created. Like every one of you have a, like a, a destiny of fruitfulness that is unattainable in any way other than Christ flourishing inside of you. And the only way that flourishing will ever happen is by you making the main goal of your life knowing Christ. That's the thing. And so this knowing then, what we find is the knowing is not an intellectual knowing. It's more than intellect. It's a union. Verse 9, what does Paul say? My, my passion is this, to be found in him. So united with Christ that his suffering is my suffering. His death is my death. His resurrection life is my life. I will follow the path of Jesus, and it's a pathway of brokenness. It's a pathway of self-denial, but on the far side of self-denial, it's, it's, it's a pathway of incredible joy because it's a joy of expressing nothing less than the resurrected Jesus as we live our lives. Wow, that's worth pursuing, right? Paul says it like it far surpasses every other goal. So we come now to this here in verse 10, which is almost a crux statement for us, that you feel the passion in his voice, that I may know him. That's what I want. I want to know Christ. Like, how would you finish that sentence? What wakes, what wakes you up in the morning? What drives you? That I may, and then there's a blank. That I may get rich. That, that I may achieve financial security. That I may... Finally, buy a house in a market where I've tried eight times. <laughs> that I may get married. That I may stay healthy. I, how do you finish the sentence? Like, what motivates you? Paul says, you want to live a life worth living, there's only one way to finish that sentence. That I may what? Know him. And then this, this is what Paul's saying. If that's the foundation, knowing him, Everything that's good flows out from that foundation, that I may know him. I want to tell you, this, for me, um, this, is my, this is my north star. This is my, this is my anchor. This is my life. This is it right here. And some of you know this, so forgive the redundancy, but like my dad died. I was super depressed. I decided I was going to be an architect to make stuff that would last longer uh, and then I was off at Cal Poly, and then I was at a ski retreat, and at the ski retreat, this guy spoke on Jeremiah 9, and he literally, the, the pastor speaks, pointed at me, Jeremiah 9 says, don't let the rich man boast of his riches, don't let the mighty man boast of his might, 
Uh, but if anyone will boast, let him boast of this, that he understands and knows the Lord. And this guy points at me, he says, hey, somebody in the room need to make that the main goal of your life, knowing God. And I knew in that moment, I knew, the guy literally was pointing at me, so A, like, why? <laughs> but I knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at that moment. Because I was so, I'm telling you, so confused. I, what a, I was a basket case, man. Like I'm trying to build a brand of a life as an architect, and it's so frustrating because uh, there's, there are way better architects than me. And I'm trying to build a brand as an extrovert, and it's so exhausting because I'm actually not one. And I'm trying to build a brand as an introvert, staying home and, you know, reading Dostoevsky and drinking tea, and that doesn't work either. And, and it's like, who am I? I don't even know who I am. I just know I'm lonely and anxious. And then a guy says this, hey, if you make knowing God the main goal of your life, you know what happened? Second Corinthians 3, 16 and 18, he'll transform you. You'll be changed from glory to glory to glory. You'll be transformed by him. He'll make you into whatever it is that you're supposed to be, an E, an N, an F, a P, a J, a T, an 8, a 4. You, it's not your call. Let God brand you by making knowing Christ the one thing that matters. And every time I preach this, I'm convicted because I drift from this and I make building my reputation the thing that matters and I make my own pleasures the thing that matters and I make hitting 60 miles an hour on my ski app the thing that matters. It doesn't matter. And, but Paul knows this, and he encourages us. Here's how. He says, brothers, I haven't yet laid hold of it. I don't yet know the fullness of Christ. And this is what I, this is what I love. It gives me such hope. This one thing I do, verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Forgetting what lies behind. In other words, we could say it this way. You know, remember the phrase, that I may, and then there's a blank. This is what I'm able to do this morning. Jesus, yesterday I said that I may ski better. I'm setting aside that I may know you. That I may know you. Like, what is it, what, how have you finished that sentence? That I may. What's waking you up in the morning? Can I just say to you, I want to encourage you. There's only one way to fill that sentence that changes your life Godward. And if you've been filling it the wrong way for 30 years or just only yesterday, no worries. Because what does Paul say? Forgetting what is behind. It's over. Today, you can make this the anchor, the north star, the goal of your life, that I may what? Know him. Everything good flows out from that. So this is what I'm going to encourage you to do today. Like, I'm going to encourage you to use the prayer books and write this. My goal was that I may, my goal is that I may know you. And then we just, it's just a way of, you, like, we can't all share here, though it would be beautiful, but we can this way. So if you would just share how you want to substitute knowing Christ for what has been a pursuit. All of us would be blessed. The prayer books are here. I think there will be prayer team members here as well with you. Please pray with me, and then uh, 
you'll have a chance to respond. Father, awesome that you not only expose the lie of branding, how, how, how fragile it is, the lie of Gnosticism, how, how tragic it is that we vilify all the beautiful gifts of your creation, but you invite us into something that frees us from both the Gnostic lie and the branding. You invite us to make knowing you the north star of our lives. I just want to pray, Father, that you, we wouldn't rest here until we've responded by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we have named it. Yeah, I, my goal was that I may get rich. My goal now is that I may know you. Whatever it is, God, speak to us now. And as we respond, we'll thank you for all that awaits as we follow you, praying in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together, and please share your testimony if you would. Thank you.